Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 715 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, we'll be hearing from Steve Ellis, the voice of the love affair, all about the sensational 60s experience at the Wolverhampton Grand Theatre. That's coming up in May. Fifth Gear host Vicky Butler-Henderson lets us know how we must continue to look after our cars, even during this cost-of-living crisis. We find out about the production of Aphrodite by Codswell Dramatic Society, which is coming up in just a few weeks' time. We also hear about another great thing on stage. It is the Stafford Gatehouse Theatre's Shakespeare Festival. That's coming up June into July. Time to get your tickets now. Grant Kilpatrick lets us know about how you can get tickets for his gig in Birmingham. That's coming up in the latter part of March. Also, we'll be finding out from Kay Adams about the importance of looking after our ears and checking on hearing loss. Aldo Kane is out and about. We'll be hearing what he's been up to on his Exodus holidays. And Tim Dunn lets us know all about his latest series on railway architecture on yesterday. That's all coming up on the show this week. This April, Aphrodite is brought to life by the Codsall Dramatic Society. I'm joined now by four of their number to let us know more. Hello. Hello. Right, let's have introductions, please, and characters. Well, starting with me, I'm Wendy. I'm not acting in this one. I'm assisting Sammy, our very capable director. I'm Sammy. I'm directing this one, which is enjoyable. Thank you. I'm Claire, um, and I play Lily who really has a northern accent. I don't talk about this in the play. <laughs> <laughs> and I play, uh, I'm Jackie, and I play Janice, and I've also got a northern accent. Uh, <laughs> we've been uh, we've been practising it a lot. <laughs> uh, Northern's quite nice to go to. Midlands to Northern, it's not too hard to travel, is it, really? And uh, with the, the selection of this particular show, and the fact you're on from the 26th through to the 29th, we'll go through the actual showtime shortly, it's going to be uh, another opportunity to show off a bit and the amazing talent that CODs will have. Coming hot off the heels of the uh, the sort of kids' play at Christmas, this is now something much more grown up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, yeah it's um, it, it's definitely grown up in that the setting of it is in an adult toy factory uh, call centre. So um, there are some slightly naughtier bits than you might be used to, but luckily it doesn't get too outrageous. And basically it's a story of the four of the girls that work in the call centre. Um, and it's the relationships between them, and that's what makes the story so interesting and, and heartwarming. It's very poignant, mm -hmm. but there's an awful lot of laughs along the way, as you can appreciate. We're <laughs> a quirky manager who's male and how he has to put up working with these four women <laughs> and their lives. Anyone who doesn't sympathise with him at the end of it, so I'm worried about it. So you say you've got you've got a production where like you you've got friendship, you've got love, you've got loss, but as you say, laughs are plenty. And and, and so yeah. what's it like trying to direct this one? Because again, it's it, it must be difficult keeping everybody organised when you have got such a funny script. Yeah, it's it's interesting because obviously it's um, based in the call centre, and then um, trying to get them to behave at certain points during rehearsals is. Uh, <laughs> Is, is interesting. They're so just getting into character, though, aren't they? That's that's what it is. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I have to t get them to behave sometimes and tone them down and say, come on, let's let's uh, get it together. But no, it's, it's good fun. And when you're assisting Wendy, uh, you, it must be difficult for you to keep a straight face as well. I don't have to because I'm <laughs> sitting watching. <laughs> so I can laugh away to my heart's content. You get to be a um, test audience. Said, it, it's, not all, it's not all abundant laughs, mm. um, but there's a lovely balance between yeah. the humour and the, and the poignancy in the relationships. Yeah, there's definitely some serious notes yeah. that make you think as well. And I, I think what, what I think is the most beautiful thing is that all the characters feel very real. They're very relatable and they've got real experiences that it's it's really lovely to see those experiences come to life yeah. on stage. And the relationships as well, seeing the relationships between the characters. I'm enjoying watching the characters blossom and the relationships between the women and the manager all blossom and grow together as well. That's nice to watch. And how does it work as far as the play itself goes? I take it it's in two acts? Uh, it is in two acts, yes, but there's... Uh, about five or six short scenes in each act. Uh, it follows uh, the course of about six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just not quite a year. Uh, so, you know, they, the, the scenes zip along, you know, no sooner have you started one than you sort of into the next one and the next one. So it's uh, it's more like the Ladies' Day, Ladies' Down Under plays that we did a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh in the sense that it, it's you know it's very snappy and and something which is going to uh, to entertain but also yeah cause that moment of thinking but uh, as you said leave you feeling sorry for the manager when you uh, exit the building on the night <laughs> but also you'll come away feeling you've made friends i'm going to guess yeah yeah i think so i think all the characters deep down are quite likable some mm -hmm. some on the surface you wouldn't really perhaps want to be best friends with but like many workplaces, you know, these friendships develop and grow um, and, you know, in the most unlikely ways. And you can relate to each character yeah. as well. I think a lot of people in the audience will definitely um, probably find some common ground with some of the characters and think, wow, I can understand what they're going through. And I, I felt that myself or, you know, there's definitely things that people will be able to relate to themselves. And uh, any good advice on using the products of the company as you go through the show? As well? No, let's not go there. Let's, let's <laughs> not... Just have fun. <laughs> That's where most of the hilarity in rehearsals has been, when one or the other of us is just absentmindedly handling the props and then we'll catch someone else's eye and uh, then all hilarity ensues. <laughs> it's one to be seen on stage you say 18 plus is the suggestion here because this is yes. adult theme even though it's adult fun themed uh so it's it's, it's worth getting yourself along consoles from uk. look out for them on facebook how else can we get tickets right they can contact the ticket hotline 01902 267 you can book online as you've already mentioned on the website Society. .co.uk and we are trialling tickets on sale here at the Village Hall on Wednesday mornings and Friday mornings between 9 and 12. Uh, so, but to purchase tickets there, uh, you will have to pay by cash. Real any money. Other, <laughs> real money, yes. <laughs> but any other res tickets reserved, pay on the door as usual. And we do have a card machine. Uh, available for those transactions on the nights of the performances.
Price at nine pound fifty to twenty sixth, twenty seventh, and twenty eighth at seven thirty p.m. Then the Saturday matinee mm-hmm. at two thirty, and it will be something to behold. I think uh, have an, an, <laughs> and to hold as well. Possibly let's <laughs> not go there either. Aphrodite, a uh, play by Anna Langaretti, and it is going to be brought to life by Codswell Dramatic Society. I'm sure, both beautifully, poignantly, and with a smirk on your face too. Thank you for joining us. Have a brilliant time. Break a leg, but none of the props. Bye, On the 24th of March, Scruffy Murphy's in Birmingham is playing host to Grant Kilpatrick, who joins me now to tell me about some of the music and the madness that we're bringing to the stage. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, uh, first of all, let's start on some of your music, uh, because you, you've got a very lively sound, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> it's definitely that high-energy rock-type vibe I'm going for, something you can turn up really loud. And uh, whenever you're at a gig, get your ears blasted off, basically. That, that's, uh, so do make sure you bring earplugs if you're in a sensitive disposition. If you're not, you're going to have an amazing Absolutely. time. <laughs> so uh, tell, tell us a bit about you, because uh, you're, you're heading quite a long way south for both the gig in Birmingham on the 24th and then back up to Manchester on the 25th. Yeah, so these gigs are going to be the first time I've been south of the border playing my music, so it's quite exciting. Uh, I've played, you know, plenty of gigs up here around Edinburgh and Glasgow, and uh, I just thought it was time. Do you know what? I need to try and join you down there <laughs> and get uh, get some gigs down south, everything, because there's some really good, vibrant music scenes down there, especially Manchester and Birmingham. So I'm happy to. I'm really looking forward to it, actually. Yeah, well, the, the Midlands is, as I said, it's a great music scene. And uh, people head over from uh, our city of Wolverhampton, pop along, see what's going on in Brum, and enjoy uh, the music over there. And, and Scruffy Murphy's has got an amazing reputation, hasn't it? And uh, one that I assume you picked up on, hence you playing the gig. Yeah, so I've heard. It looks like quite a cool venue. And uh, like we have sort of similar kind of rock metal type bars uh, in Edinburgh, where I'm from. Uh, so yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it. It'll be, it'll be good. Uh, I've heard good things about the place. So can't wait. So when it comes to your music, obviously you, you've developed this over a little bit of time. You're, you're still tender in years. So give us a bit of the background on what makes Grant tick. Well, I well, started playing guitar when I was 12 and always had a background in kind of rock and was really into metal for a while and actually really into a lot of uh, old like progressive rock music as well. So I, you know, I used to dabble in a lot of that, that type of stuff. Um, a quite a proud Genesis fan, by the way, and Yes <laughs> and all that, and Rush and all those guys. Um, so my music taste is quite varied, but I'm also really into uh, your kind of like straight down the line rock type stuff. So I love Oasis, a big fan of uh, Bare Naked Ladies, bands like that, good, concise songwriting. So when it came to writing my own material, I was like, Do you know what? I want to write anthemic tracks, but that are quite concise. So hooky possibly a bit dancey, but with a good, you know, guitar edge. Um, and that was my that was my plan. So that's kind of the idea behind my sound. Um, good, concise tunes that are hooky with a kind of rock edge. Because there's not, like, I don't, I don't, I certainly I don't feel like there's too much of that in the mainstream at the moment. Like, you know, there's plenty of guitar bands, but it's usually either sort of indie type stuff, which is great, and I love that too. But uh, I kind of just want to sort of, I don't know. I want to try and combine all my influences and, and, and put it out there into my own sort of style, bundle it all up, you know? So, so it's more sort of indie metal than indie rock. Than, is that that kind of yeah, it? 
wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say metal. Like it's, it's difficult because I've been using like indie rock is how to describe it. I mean, if indie means independent, then I'm certainly independent. It's like <laughs> no label and whatever else, and I, I fund everything from the tours to the recordings and all that. Um, but um, it's probably more on the sort of rock side of things. Serious about your rock, serious about entertaining the crowd. And how do you do that yeah. on the road? I mean, is it just you or have you got uh, an entourage? No, yeah, so there's a full band. So we have a drummer, obviously, a guitar player and bass player, and I'm playing guitar as well. So that's the other thing. It's like people ask you, or you, oh, so you're a singer-songwriter. And I'm like, well, I'm a singer-songwriter in the sense that I sing and write this <laughs> sort of conjures up images of, you know, folk strumming acoustic guitars and, and whatever else. And it's not, that's not really what I'm trying to go with with this. It's quite sort of uh, intense, rocky type stuff. But yeah, so there'll be a full band, uh, Scruffy Murphy's. And the guys in the band are like basically my best mates. Um, the drummer the drummer and I, Ewan, we've, we've been playing together since we were 12 years old. And so these guys are lifelong, lifelong friends. Uh, all the guys in the bands are in the band are. So um, yeah, it'll be good to just go out and play some gigs, but also with the, some of your best pals, you know? And when it comes to the music releases too, obviously there's, there's been singles out, uh, and I mean they've got some good attention. Uh, but hopefully by you know making your way out and about just that little bit more, it's going to spread the word, and before you know it, you might be able to turn the attention into you know, chart success. Fingers crossed. Well, hopefully, I mean, the thing about going down south and playing was just to kind of you know make a mark in some different territories. Um, I mean, I could have waited around longer to kind of go okay well is it you know a show in Birmingham people are going to turn up or am I confident enough and go play a show in Manchester and people are going to turn up but the reality is you have to start somewhere so I kind of just made a decision I was like look tracks are getting decent plays uh, I think there's a scene here I think there's a scene here let's go down and play to some new people and I've actually been quite overwhelmed by the, the reaction I mean I've had people message me that I've come across like my stuff on Instagram or through an ad and they've been like, oh, do you know what? I just caught a snippet of your music there for whatever, five seconds or whatever. And I love the sound of it. I went and checked the the rest on Spotify and I bought two, three tickets to the show. So it's been quite good. I've been, I've been quite overwhelmed by the reaction to it. Well, I say it's a development of the music, which you, you say you've got uh, a very you know, defined audience for and Edinburgh, must be absolutely loving it, which is cool. And again, that's a, another city that knows its music and uh, and entertainment. So it must be be great playing up there. It's a it's a place I'd love to come and visit. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how things develop. The gig itself, as we say, is the twenty fourth of March. Griffin Murphy's is the venue down the road in Brum. Easy enough to get to. What time are doors and how do we get tickets? So the doors are going to be at half seven, uh, and we're going to have a couple of support bands as well. Um, one that's still yet to be confirmed for Birmingham, but we're also going to have Free Spirits, who are an amazing band. Uh, it's quite sort of heavy rock type stuff, so come down early to come see them. Uh, and you can buy tickets at shop.grantcope.co.uk, and you can find tickets there. So get your tickets, get along, have an amazing time at the gig. Meanwhile, prepare yourself, learn the words of the songs. It always impresses an artist when you can <laughs> sing along to the songs. I'll try. I'll try. Where do we go to for the rest of the music and the website? Uh, so you can go to uncopatrick.co.uk and there's a to Spotify and all the other streaming platforms there. You can also get your tickets from there as well. So grantcopatrick.co.uk.
And because there's links to all the Instagram and the Facebook pages and everything like that, but yeah. Grant Kilpatrick Music is what you're looking for if you want to head that way and see what this man is up to on the socials alongside the rest of the band who make an appearance too. Grant, lovely speaking to you. Thank you for joining us. What are we going to listen to now? What track have you got for us to whet everybody's appetites? I think you should give your found a spin. Thank you for joining us. Have a brilliant time. Break a leg if we have to say that to musical artists. I'm not entirely sure we do. Uh, but have a great time when you're out on the road in March. Okay, thanks so much for having me. Cheers.
The Festival of Shakespeare in Stafford returns this year and it's going to be indoors, all taking place on stage at the Stafford Gatehouse from the 23rd of June right the way through until the 9th of July. To tell us more about what they have in store, I have Mike Groves, who is their producer. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I hope we find you well and getting ready for a Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes, yeah, very busy, very busy. How does it work as far as the schedule goes? Because the planning that goes into this starts well before we get to 2023 for the 2023 event. Uh, yeah, so we've started planning this um, since the beginning of last year. Um, it's a little bit different this year because it's it's not at Stafford Castle, it's at the Stafford Gatehouse Theatre. Um, so we, we've moved it for, for various reasons, but what it's done is it's given us an opportunity to um, really explore what the theatre can offer in terms of a Shakespeare production. Um, so it's it's got its differences this year to other years, but uh, but it's all looking very exciting. Uh, so yeah, we, to answer your question, we start as early as uh, November last year, I think I started. So an awful lot of planning goes into it and getting the cast right is another important part of this. And uh, I know not all the cast announcements are out as yet, but what we've heard so far is sounding rather impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have the wonderful Kerry Ellis uh, in the role of Titania. Um, she is uh, a West End and Broadway legend. Um, so it's really nice for us to be able to bring a piece of West End theatre to Stafford. Um, and, and it's it's not only excited for the for Stafford and the Stafford Gatehouse, um, but it's really doing something for regional theatres as well, mm. which is uh, very exciting. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a big part of what it's about, isn't it? It's about showing that this sort of stuff doesn't just happen in London. It actually happens all over the UK. And what is it, more than 30 years now, Stafford has played host to these wonderful productions, which really uh, show off the uh, the, the town uh, in, in a way you, you wouldn't imagine unless you actually went to see it. Yeah, all very true. Um, it, you know, it, it's a hope... I guess we're all sick of talking about the, the cost of living crisis, but um, we, we're offering something now that is of a West End quality, at a fraction of the price. Um, we're, we're not charging London prices uh, for this event, but the, the actual quality and and the cast, as we've already mentioned, is of that West End quality. So, um, so yeah, it's very exciting and I'm, I'm hoping it will sort of encourage everybody to, to look at their local theatre and, and see what they're producing. And I'm, I'm hoping we are we are encouraging other local theatres to to start producing something as well. Mm. Um, so it's very exciting for us, uh, and it's very exciting for the, the theatre industry as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we we already know that there's yourselves and the Grand who who are producing in-house productions regularly. You look over to Birmingham, yeah. uh, you've got the Hippodrome, who have got massive links into uh, some of the productions that come through there. And you know, through regional theatre, we actually see more talent coming through. And now, whether that is London nicking all the best people, or whether it's actually a load of great people staying around in the regions to continue what is now a, a fantastic tradition, uh, it, it it is a about bringing theatre and, and theatre on the doorstep from you know from Wolverhampton to Stafford it's literally just a little drive up the road and so anybody who wants to see good locally produced theatre will be going to both the Gatehouse and the Grand on a regular basis. Yeah absolutely um, and it's always been there as well um, so the, the, it's uh, I think it's time to start looking more locally at what what your entertainment what, what your theatre is offering in terms of entertainment um, uh, I know uh, at the Stafford Gatehouse, we've got 
a relatively new management team, um, but we were all very passionate here about delivering exciting projects. Um, and the, there are going to be some changes within the Stafford Gatehouse that uh, I'm hoping is going to start turning some heads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, so, you, you say relatively new, but only new to the gatehouse. You've got a huge amount of experience and passion there, and uh, with uh, the likes of Gary, uh, that's uh, he, he's heading things up at uh, over at uh, Stafford, and you know, it's really quite exciting to see what can be done, and uh, you know that you're you know, the future of, of, of theatre. And it's keeping working on things like the uh, the Shakespeare festivals, the yeah, Stafford Shakespeare, and putting on events like this. And you, you know, you're not ruling out going back to the castle either, are you? That could be where you find yourselves next year. Absolutely, yeah. It's it, it's uh, it's still all up in the air. Um, so uh, we are concentrating on delivering something very exciting at the Gatehouse this year. Um, and then I, I have no doubt there'll be. Lots of conversations that that happen as as to whether we can uh, go move back to the castle. Um, so it's it's still all up in the air, but um, and we certainly hope we can go back to the castle one day as well. Um, it, it is a very lovely setting up there, um, but um, but we can do things in the theatre that we can't do at the castle. Mm -hmm. um, we've got whole flying system here. We we can't fly anything at, um, at the castle. Uh, we can control the lighting a little bit more. Um, we can create a better soundscape because we're not battling the the M6 in the distance uh, at the <laughs> castle. So, so the the doing it here at the Stafford Gatehouse has got a lot of advantages. Um, but but yes, you you are right. The the Stafford Castle is is a beautiful venue. Um, so we'll see what happens in the terms of the future. There's there's lots of exciting uh, conversations that, that are going to happen. So you can get your tickets online now. What are the ticket details? Uh, so it runs from the 23rd to the 9th, uh, 23rd of June to the 9th of July. Um, tickets are uh, around £35, which is cheaper than what it was at the castle. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we've, we've got more and more cast announcements due very soon. Um, I won't tell you what they are now. I'm just going <laughs> to uh, tease you with it. We like being teased, um, that's all good. But <laughs> look for Stafford Gatehouse on all the socials to keep up with those announcements. Gatehousetheatre.co.uk to get your tickets online or call the box office in 01785 619080. And uh, you can be going along to enjoy a fantastic festival of Shakespeare in the glorious Stafford Gatehouse Theatre and brought together by a hugely talented team. And uh, Mike, I mean, good luck, break a leg, even though you're probably not expecting to see you on stage if everything goes to plan. But have a, a great time with it. I look forward to seeing the show when it's all on stage come June this year. We certainly will, yeah. Thank you, Jason. With the 60th anniversary tour of the Sensational Sixes experience arriving at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre on the 14th of May, it is going to be an amazing night of music. The voice of the love affair will be there, Steve Ellis, who joins me now to tell me more about his part of the show. Hello, Jason. How are you doing? I'm good. I hope we find you well and looking forward to an amazing run of gigs. Well, yeah, of course. Always. So... When it comes to all these being, shows... All being, all being well and good. Fingers <laughs> crossed. That's the way we like it. We, we, we always make sure that uh, everything goes to plan, hopefully. But uh -huh. uh, it's, it's going to be great to be back on the road again and some amazing familiar faces and voices you'll be touring with. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a few bands on, yeah. When it comes to the shows themselves, obviously... Uh, 
not only are you performing music for people who have loved the 60s all their lives, but there's also going to be you know, members of the family who maybe weren't around at the time. But I think one of the joys of 60s music is it really does suit everybody. Well, it's correct. I mean, most up till COVID, I've been touring uh, pretty much for about 10 years, you know, on tours. I mean, prior to that as well, but I mean, tour-wise, done quite a few tours, big tours, um, for 60s... Um, fans, if you want to call them fans, I'll just call them uh, followers or enjoyers <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't just make 60s music. I'm, I mean, I'm still making an album now, but people people like 60s music, and there is a cross-section, a broad section of people that come to the shows. I mean, there's, you know, young, young people, very young people and, and very elderly people as well. We even have deaf people coming, believe it or not. Um, picking up the resonation in the front row, I said, "I said, you okay?" And he said, yeah. and I suddenly realised from what they said to me that they were actually um, having problems with hearing, you know. Uh, but they come and they're enjoying it, and I thought, brilliant, you know. They got a round of applause, and I don't, I don't, I don't see what they shouldn't have done. I thought, mm-hmm. fantastic. What first started you into the world of music? What was what was your trigger? Um, what you mean, inspirationally? Yeah, well, both, both inspirationally and it physically got you to, I mean, really where you are now. I mean, such a hugely successful career. How did that start out for you? Uh, I suppose back in the days, there was like not a lot of channels on the TV. <laughs> and um, I, uh, Sunday night was, was the big night and everybody used to sit in the front room and watch TV. And uh, when I was a kid, you know, and um, when I was about 14, I, I got quite quite enamored with Ray Charles. I thought he was brilliant. And this, this black blindfolder singing, you know, and um, I don't know, maybe that was it. Maybe that's what started me like really liking music. And then I used to live, listen to the pirate radio stations later. <clears throat> and, um, and, and it sort of went on from there to... Uh, running about with my pals when I grew up with, you know, in, in like a gang, is not a gang gang, but, you know, like a whole load of us grew up together, about 10 of us, still mates now. Mm-hmm. And um, we all got into all kinds of different music, mainly soul music, because we, we all sort of grew into mods. Remember mod, you remember mods? Just about. And, um, and um, we used to go to the clubs and we'd, we'd go and watch, you know, we go to like Tiles in London, Marquee, all those sort of clubs, and, and, and see different bands and different, uh, what have we, and, I, and I, I don't know, my friend Nigel, who I always blame for this, and spoke to him the other day, actually, <laughs> about an hour and a half, had a catch-up, <clears throat> he he put me up for an audition, unknown to me, because he, he played a guitar, and um, we'd go down the swimming pool and just mess around like you did when you were at school. And he, and he said, oh, you can sing. I said, well, can I? You know. And next thing is, he's got me out for an audition. He says he's going to audition as well, play the guitar, but he backed out. So we're at this audition in Tottenham, and there's all these cabaret singers and about twice my age and everything. I thought, what the hell am I doing here? You know, <laughs> what you got me into? You know, going, yeah, you've got to go, you've got to go, you've got to go. It was sort of like a dare, really. Anyway, I went, and now manager comes, a bit of a cliche, big old fat bald guy with a big cigar, and he says, you got the job, I'm going to make you a star. And I said, we'll have to speak to my dad about that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then it, we, we, we just, we just, uh, we were all kids, you know, we were at school. I was about to say, you, you must have been a kid, because I mean, you, you, you're only 72 now, you're one of the youngsters on this tour. Well, yeah, it's funny, that, isn't it? 
I feel about 900, but um, <laughs> yeah. But um, no, as I was, I was saying, so um, we we played anywhere that had have us, you know. Um, we we played weddings, we played youth clubs, we play, and then we got better as, as time went on, and then we end up playing all of the um, the clubs in London, like the Marquee, with bands like the Marmalade and and all sorts of aiming corner all those bands of the day you know Andy Farrell is a good friend of mine now still and um we just got better flamingo um all around London we play all around then we branched out and we're still at school you got to remember and then we're going up north to all the all this like the, I think it was the torch in Tunstall all the places up there and then I come back sort of um five in the morning from, from say Manchester and uh, my mum be behind the door with a broom and she whacked me on it. Where you been? And I thought, Manchester. Don't take that long to get back from Manchester. I said, <laughs> 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 you think, mum? <laughs> so it was it was like a bit bit sort of um, a bit odd because then you get up and go to school next morning. But um, I remember that we supported the small faces. We were only sixteen. I think the drummer was fourteen. And we supported the small faces at the Albert Hall. And um, I went to school the next morning. Oh, what did you do last night? I played the Albert Hall with the small faces. And Cat Stevens. No, he didn't show up. Um, Cat Stevens didn't show up. Uh, Gene Chandler and um, somebody called Dorothy Squires. And um, oh, I can't remember. A few other bands anyway. And, um, and, and, and so the story went. And then we sort of carried on for a couple of years, almost, seemed like. 18 months, two years, uh, and then we got a, a record out on Decca, uh, which flopped, and I'm glad it did because it was dreadful. <laughs> and I know Tony Blackburn, bless him, played it, and um, he's, and he's become a good pal over the years. And um, then we got off. We used to rehearse in Tottenham in a warehouse, <laughs> and um, the, the management, uh, one of the managers, uh, two of the managers, we had three managers, which we at the time, uh, came in with with, with uh, the pre-releases and uh, they used to play stuff, say, do you want to do that number? Maybe for stage, maybe for recording. Need, you know, it wasn't discussed, it was just given to us to listen to. Mm-hmm. We like that one, yeah, we like that, we'll do that one. You know, it was mainly black R&B and soul stuff. And, um, of course, that's what mods like. Um, so then um, they came in with Everlasting Love and I just went mad for it. I went, oh, we got to do that. <laughs> so uh, went in studio uh, with Muff Winwood, who was ex-Spencer Davis, who worked at Island Records. And we did a version, which I haven't heard since. And then the managers, in their infinite wisdom, decided they wanted a big wall of sound. So I went in with um, session players like Clem Cattini and all those top guys of the day. And um, it, it was like an orchestra. Backing singer Sue and Sonny, you know Sonny Doctor's Orders. Remember that record, Doctor's Orders. Mm-hmm. And um, two takes, job done. And <laughs> um, that was that. And then uh, came out all the shenanigans. And then back in the day, you had like um, what they call it PR stunts. So um, we had a, a PR man called Brian Longley, R.I.P. <clears throat> and um, we, we November, uh, end of November, I think it was, and we're walking down um, Shaftesbury Avenue. He says, oh, I got it. He says, go to uh, Eros and Piccadilly Circus and take some photos with Alex Byrne. 
he's quite a famous photographer now. And um, anyway, oh, why don't you stand on there and get in the... Anyway, kids end up in the water, don't we? November. <laughs> November. And then we end up... I climbed up to the top like an idiot, couldn't get down. So um, the police turned up, the fire brigade turned up, um, all, the whole of the traffic ground to a halt. You've got to remember, this is like 67. Yeah. And uh, we got arrested for breach of the peace and um, calling and uh, whatever it was. And um, we all got put in cells and um, uh, told that we had to go to court. So that went all over the newspapers the next morning, um, front page. So his PR stunt came off and we all had to go to court. <laughs> and um, we'll we'll uh, be amused by it, if you like. And... Um, they gave they found they fined us twelve pounds each and bound to keep bound over to keep the peace. <laughs> and uh we went down to the to the desk and the bass player says to the desk sergeant, uh that sixty pounds and that pays uh, West End Central Police Station a year supply of truncheons and police whistles <laughs> with which he went completely mental and chased us out of the building. But um you know, just silly memories you know I mean funny at the time but I mean I shouldn't be, be funny you couldn't do that now you're getting no. into big trouble there, it would I be mean, a bit different yeah <laughs> things were different time was slower there wasn't so much you know traffic you wouldn't do that now and uh, we got a slap on the wrist and told to be good boys you know and then the record went up chart to about I don't know in the 40s something like that and then um, we did a couple of two or three I remember a couple of Top of the Pops and a few other TV shows mm -hmm. and so on because got in the chart, bubbling under as they called it, and um, and then all of a sudden it took a life of its own on and and shot up. Next thing we know, we're we're 17 years old on Top of the Pops with a with a number one record. You yeah, know? and and doing so much better than Robert Knight with uh, the original, which is obviously what you were listening to that got you the uh, the track in the first place. Uh, but then yeah. it, 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 I met it didn't. Him as well. Oh, that's cool. And how, how did he feel about box. it? He, no, he was sound. He was a lovely guy. Um, I went up to him. And I said, uh, "I said sorry about covering your your, your record." He says, it's not, "And he was he had a record out, a different record out at the time." And he says, "No troubles." He said, "No troubles." He said, "I had a hit in America. You had a hit over here in Europe." So um, he was a sweet man, a sweet man. Very nice, man. Um, I mean, several more top ten hits followed. Uh, most notable for me was "Bringing On Back the Good Times." That's a song that, again, it's played to this day, the same as uh, as your version of "Everlasting Love." And this, the, that, those both are, I assume, are going to feature in the set that you bring to the Grand Theatre in May. Yeah, and we do "Day Without Love." People like that. Um, Rainbow Valley, but a lot of people really like Rainbow Valley. Um, what's the other one? I can't remember. Anyways, <laughs> a couple anyway, of others. One Road. Oh yeah, one road and um, and another one which is um, slipped my memory. I'm a bit tired. It's uh, a bit been a funny old couple of months. Been busy, busy, busy up the studio and what have you. Anyway, <clears throat> there you are. There we are. Well, it's going to be a good night. I mean, there's there's going to be music. There's going to be a few stories thrown in for good measure. I'm absolutely sure. The important yeah. thing is you go along and enjoy the sixties experience. Yeah, Mike Mike Darbo's on. Mm -hmm. a, from the Manfreds. Uh, I've known him for years. Um, He's good. He wrote handbags and glad rags. Mm -hmm. um, Dozy Beaky. Oh, my mates, the Fortunes are on. They're good lads. Great lads. And um, somebody else's name escaped. I, th I think we've got the Swinging Blue Jeans and Vanity Fair as well. It's going to be a busy night. 
I don't, did I forget to mention Vanity Fair? Oh, yeah, Vanity Fair. I work with them regular, so they're, they're a good band. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be a good one. It's the 14th of May, the Sensational 60s Experience. 01902 is the box office number. Grandtheatre.co.uk to get your tickets. And, you know, it's going to be an awesome night. Make sure you're there, if only to hear Steve Ellis, the voice of the Love Affair. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for sharing, and we look forward to seeing you on stage at the Grand in May. Bless your heart, mate, and love to everybody out there. And... Uh... I'll speak to you in a minute. The cost of living is meaning people are not looking after their cars quite as they should do. They're going into reverse when it comes down to the maintenance. To tell us more, I'm joined now by James Room, Head of Current Accounts at the Nationwide Building Society. You've done the research. And Fifth Gear host and motoring expert, Vicky Butler-Henderson. Hello to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Right, so first of all, uh, Vicky, I mean, when it comes to looking after cars, it is essential that we do the right maintenance on them because we don't want them breaking down on us, do we? No, exactly. No, this is research that has been done by the Nationwide Building Society and the AA, just to highlight the fact that we do need to give our cars more love and not rely on the breakdown cover and just use that really more as a safety net. So things like tyres, they're really important because they're the first things that, you know, give us contact with the road. That's what mm-hmm. keeps us keeps us going. So we're very slack in looking after our pressures or our, 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 um, our treads. If we run our air pressures, for example, on the tyres, if, if they're too low, then we are more fuel, fuel, we're less fuel efficient. So we're spending more money in in fuel and also mm-hmm. they're, they're more susceptible to punctures so just tiny things like keeping on top of your air pressures can save you money absolutely and not spending money in your car very often turn into a, a bigger cost later on oil change is absolutely essential make sure that you actually keep that engine moving the way it's supposed to move and it, 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 we may not all be driving the sort of high performance vehicle we expect to see you in but uh you know it, it is about looking after what we've got Yep. Oil is so important and you can so easily check it. Just open up the bonnet, pull out the dipstick and they've got a minimum and a maximum line on where the oil should be. If it's if it's anywhere between minimum and maximum, you're great. If it's under minimum, then you need to just top up with oil because if an engine doesn't run on oil, it will seize and then that will cost you more money, much more money in the long run. James, I hope your car servicing is fully up to date and you're not just relying on the AA cover that comes with your nationwide account to look after you. Absolutely not, no. And it's really interesting. So, so I think what we, what the survey tells us is um, quite understandably, given current pressures, a lot of people are um, making you know understandable decisions. So t- um, missing the odd service or, or foregoing that breakdown cover. But I guess the key message that we want to go with today is that, you know, whilst that might make sense in the short term, in the longer term, those can lead to some quite nasty kind of one-off um, expenses. And actually having the, you know, that upfront planning when it comes to purchasing the, the that breakdown. And if you do that through a packaged account, that can be, you know, a much more efficient way to do it. You can plan a monthly payment. You've then got the certainty that, you know, if something does go wrong, um, you, you avoid that one-off cost, as well as the obvious inconvenience of kind of breaking down on the side of the motorway without having somebody to come and, come and save you, really. Yeah, absolutely. If you do break down on the side of the road and you have to be recovered by an independent, obviously they're the same people who will be, in many cases, employed by the likes of the AA, uh, although, of course, they do have their own controls and they are out there looking after people. But the cost can be absolutely huge, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be much more than you would, uh, yeah, than you would pay if you were kind of just planning that and, and paying on a monthly basis in advance. 
So, oh, Vicky, when it comes to keeping our cars on the road and enjoying yeah, that little bit of luxury as well, it, it, it is nice to have the right vehicle, isn't it? And, and once you have made the investment, and it, it's been getting more expensive to do that recently, it, it is about enjoying you know, the, the joy of the open road when we do need to travel because we can take into account our environmental credentials too. Yeah, we, we need to show our cars a bit of love. If you're driving now listening to this or you're planning a journey later on, just spend maybe two minutes just walking around the car, checking that your tyre tread is is the correct depth. Grab a 20pp, stand it upright and put it in the tyre groove. And if you can't see the outer band of the 20pps, then you are good to go. You're above the legal limit. But if you can see that 20p outer outer band then you need to start investing in some new tires but it's just a little bit of diy maintenance we can all change our windscreen wipers ourselves if we need to they're clip on and clip off and it's really a fun thing to do so just give our cars a little bit of maintenance which will save big bills later on you might be able to change your windscreen wipers. I struggle a bit sometimes, to be fair. I'll, it's, it's I'll come running help. Okay, if, that'd be brilliant. If you can just, <laughs> the tutorial would be amazing. Perfect. But, but uh, it, it, it is about yeah, looking after it, though. And there's, there's warning signs on the dashboard very often. And we need to keep an eye on all of those. The one that the, the most, least worrying is being out of washer fluid. But actually, that's <laughs> still just as important, isn't it? Because you've but, got to have the fluid in your car. Yeah, exactly. Windscreen wipers are only ever destined to have like a one year life and we only use them when the, the screen is wet or it's dirty. But if the if we don't have windscreen washer, then the wipers will start stuttering across the glass and then you'll end you could end up, you know, damaging the glass, which will then cost more money. So even tiny things like running out of washer fluid, top it up. Just a little bit of maintenance. Absolutely. And when it does come to car breakdowns, James, I know the research has shown that something like well, 43% of people have had problems with a vehicle over the last year. Yeah, absolutely. So, so interestingly, yeah, 43% have um, required breakdown. The, what we've seen in particular is a, a real trend with, with the younger population, actually. So that figure is a lot higher with, um, with, with the younger um, adult population. And that's probably um, symptomatic of the fact that those are also the ones that are most likely to forego on some of the that, that maintenance and also the ones that are less likely to purchase breakdowns. So in particular, for that population, we're saying, you know, you're, they're most reliant on their cars, they're most likely to put things off, but also they're the ones that are most likely to need that breakdown as well. So really important that that people kind of plan ahead. Yeah, and obviously, again, Vicky, we've we, we got to get our MOTs done every year, but leaving it to the MOT to get your car checked over, again, can be more expensive and more inconvenient because you don't know what's wrong with it before you take it to the test centre. So if you're having it serviced, have it serviced possibly just before your MOT is due. <laughs> yes, that's good. That is a very good tip. But also just keep on top of what what your car is is telling you. Read the you know the the warning signs. Understand what noises the car is making, and and work out how you can help fix it before the problem gets worse. Absolutely. So when it comes to getting that cover, as you said, James, we can use our bank accounts to be able to get that cover. And you're no longer worrying about when the direct debit's coming through. You've got a simple monthly fee, and there's loads of other great benefits too. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So for £13 a month, you don't just get the breakdown, which, you know, it's not not these, not bad value just for the breakdown. But on top of that, if you go travelling, get travel insurance, you also get mobile phone cover for the family. That And that breakdown isn't just for the UK. The breakdown cover with Nationwide is also if you go over to Europe as well. So really extensive cover. Um, yeah. And as you say, for, for a, a, you know, a price that you can kind of plan in um, and not have to worry about. Yeah, and having recently had my review uh, through for my cover, uh, I know that's actually significantly cheaper than the monthly cost I would have had. And it's because you guys are buying it in bulk for all your members of the Mutual. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as a building society and as the, you know, the biggest building society in the, in the country, we can, yeah, as you say, effectively kind of buy in bulk, get those efficiencies of scale that really kind of help our members get the value. So where can we go for more information about the uh, value that you're offering here? Yeah, so nationwide.co.uk. And um, if you go to the current account page there and look for the Flex Plus product, um, you'll find all you need to know about um, how to apply and all the details around the product itself. And, and Vicky, not only when are you going to come and check my car over for me and sort my windscreen wipers there, but where can we see what you're up to at the moment? Well, we've just finished a series of fifth year recharge where we're sort of giving a little bit more attention to the hybrid and the electric side of things. And that has just finished on Discovery and Quest. So you can catch up on that. So click that button, get it online, and hopefully there'll be some great tips on how to look after you know, the, the importance of, of your electric vehicle. Because again, it is still just as important to have cover if you're electric. Yeah, 100%. Yes, absolutely. So go to nationwide.co.uk for more. Check those details out there. Vicky Butler-Henderson, fifth gear host and motoring expert. I know because she changes her own windscreen wipers, I can't. And James <laughs> Broom, head of current accounts at the Nationwide Building Society. Thank you both for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Loneliness and social isolation are the hidden risks of living with an untreated hearing loss. To tell us more, I'm joined now by television presenter, journalist and somebody who has been diagnosed with conductive hearing loss back in 2022, Kay Adams. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jason. How are you? I'm good. I hope we find you well and now much better off since you've addressed the issues with your hearing. Oh, just such a difference, Jason. Uh, I can't believe it. Funny enough, yesterday afternoon I spent in a cafe with my good friend Nadia Sawala chatting away and uh, it was noisy as most places are these days. And again, I was reminded that, do you know what, before I had the hearing aids, I would have been sitting there nodding, smiling and probably not really knowing what she was going on about, which in some ways is sometimes not a bad thing with Nadia. Oh, oh. <laughs> not called for at all. But I mean, we're, we're on the serious side, one in 10 of us suspecting we might have hearing loss, but haven't been tested. And one in three having seen loved ones become withdrawn or begun to lack confidence in social situations because of hearing loss. It is something which is so easy to address these days, but very often does get overlooked, whether it be because of maybe shyness, embarrassment, or just you know, thinking, oh, no, it, it's just normal. I think there is a reticence. And, you know, if I'm entirely honest, um, it took me probably longer than it should have been to address it because I didn't want, you know, to acknowledge that I had a hearing loss. I didn't want someone to sit and tell me that I needed hearing aids because, unfortunately, there are negative connotations, which I really hope that we can start to to challenge. Um, so I was probably two years too late Um and when I looked at my parents, who've now both passed away, they've resisted, resisted, resisted well into their late 70s, way beyond the time where they could have really benefited from from hearing aids. And, you know, particularly with my dad, uh, you know, I can remember situations we'd go out for dinner and he would he would just sort of sit quietly and not really be part of the conversation and he was a very gregarious sociable man all of his life and it just happened you know slowly over a period of years and unfortunately with a lot of people you can get to the stage that you think all oh, right you you've just switched off you don't kind of want to come back into that busy social hearing world which is why I would really impeach people to sort of be an early adopter with this be on the front foot don't leave it until you get to a stage that actually you can't be bothered getting back in the game. You know, don't step out of the game. Make sure that you do address this and that you are able to enjoy all these wonderful social situations and indeed be in the top of your game professionally um, because, you know, you've got a bit of a boost. You know, you've got a bit of hearing loss. So what? 
It, it, it is just as like normal for you. It needs some to, to be corrected. And it is so easy to do. And with digital hearing aids these days, they are really small. People wouldn't necessarily know that you're wearing one. I mean, you have an earpiece in most of the time anyway. And I suppose exactly. you have to work around that too. I mean, Jason, for the last four years, like most of the country now, I walked about with earbuds in. I was listening to podcasts. I was listening to radio. I was doing phone calls, et cetera, et cetera. I can do all of that with my hearing aids. And I can hear on top of it. I mean, so as far as I'm concerned, I am the winner here. And, you know, I totally get what you're saying, that they're so discreet now you can't see them. And my hairstyle is such that, no, you cannot see them. But if anyone asks me, you know, can I see your hearing aids? I will happily show them to them. What is the difference between me saying, yeah, this is my little hearing aid and somebody saying, these are my very fancy earbuds, you know, that I've got um, and I wear all the time. What yeah, is and the difference? You wouldn't even think twice about uh, questioning somebody who's wearing glasses. So no. why should hearing be a thing that you, you, you would worry about? No, but we have to appreciate that for whatever reason, there is a bit of a negative connotation, which, um, you know, has become very deeply ingrained in a lot of people. And like I say, I had it. I, I really do get it. You know, when I did go to, to Boots and I got my hearing test, um, you know, I didn't want Sean, his name was, um, to say that I needed hearing aids because I also had absorbed all of these kind of negative thoughts over many, many years. And I'd thought of my mum and dad and stuff. But once I got over that, then I thought, what was I worried about? This is so much better. I mean, the sort of low grade social anxiety that I had in both professional and social settings before I had the hearing aids of, you know, sort of, as I say, smiling at people, not quite following the conversation, not wanting to completely, you know, repeat myself, pardon, pardon, pardon all the time. That was taken away. So the initial reticence was totally, totally over, um, you know, swept away by the relaxation and comfort and confidence of thinking, right, I can hear, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. Um, so I really would urge people, try and get over that hump. Um, and as I say, I just rocked up to my boots in Glasgow, my local place. The guy was absolutely brilliant. He took it really slow. Nobody's trying to force anything on you. But it made me really sort of sit up and think, okay, this is where I am. What am I going to do? Am I going to sit here on my pride and try and deny the fact that I've got moderate hearing loss or am I going to take the opportunity to make my life better? And I'm so glad I took the latter option. Absolutely. And it's it's about getting a balance in your hearing again as well. I mean, I, I, my hearing isn't too bad. Uh, I've had it tested. The last time I was tested, it was, you know, it's OK for your age. And, but... Uh, I know that my right ear isn't quite the same having been to a concert yeah. and had a pyrotechnic go off next to me when I was in my teens. So, mm. you know, it, it, I know it's something I need to monitor and I, I have been monitoring. And, and it's quite as simple as walking into your, your local boots with a hearing centre and getting it checked out. And we can also find out where that is online, can't we? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Boots Hearing Care, you know, you can search for that and uh, you will find all the information that you need. If you're over 50, then you get a completely free uh, hearing test uh, or you go to your GP, refer you to an audiologist. I mean, there are so many pathways to just finding out where you are with it. And, you know, maybe like you, Jason, you know, they'll say, look, just just monitor it and see how you're going. But why would you, you know, put your head in the sand here when you can take the initiative and improve your life. 
Absolutely. And there's all sorts of things that can be done these days. Now, I know people who've had uh, both a hearing aid and something which produces white noise to help them concentrate when they need it as well. So there's there's all sorts of tech out there, which is amazing things when it comes to getting your hearing right. Well, it is funny, isn't it? We do live in a very sort of tech driven world and we love the latest gadget that comes out, the latest headphones, the latest earbuds, the latest, the latest. Now you have the latest hearing aids, which can do incredible things. I mean, I, I laugh. I'd say to all my friends, I am the future because I've got my amazing little hearing aids. I listen to podcasts. I do phone calls. I listen to the radio. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I've got the best of all worlds here. Absolutely. Once again, where can we go for more information? Um, boots hearing care that's what you want to search search for that or nip into your local boots and check that one or out indeed, yeah nip into your local boots I, I should have said that you know go old world that's what i did <laughs> I spoke to sean and then i was down south in bromley and i spoke to faraz they were both fantastic oh brilliant stuff Kay adams television presenter journalist and uh, absolute star when it comes to just getting on with it when it comes to hearing changing thank you for joining us thanks jason The construction feats and incredible design behind some of our biggest and smallest railway stations is something very much of interest to Tim Dunn, railway historian and architecture expert who joins me now. Hello, sir. Hello, thanks for having me. Well, good to talk to you. So tell me about your latest work, because this, this we, we've got some interesting tales to tell about some of the amazing architecture around the UK on the railway lines. Oh, we certainly do. I, mean, I, I can believe we're in our fourth series now of the architecture the railways built this this television program we conceived a few years ago to kind of unlock doors and and explore the hidden parts of britain and europe's railway network and show people what is behind those doors and how the whole system works and why things look like they do um and so this time around we've managed to get another what 10 episodes worth of just remarkable buildings across so all of the UK, from uh, Birmingham New Street signal box, of course, um, which has just been decommissioned. We got inside that before it, the, the last staff left it, and we got to show how the staff operated it and why it looks like it does. On the very first episode, go and look at the fourth rail bridge and see how that was built and why it is so strong and built so over the top, frankly. We've got a channel tunnel in the south. And that connecting up with, with France, we get to go inside the control of the uh, the Channel Tunnel as well. It's quite extraordinary. But really, it's, it's going all over the country and taking experts with us who run the railway today and people who maintain it as well. Yeah, and, and much of this will date from not last century, the century before. But I mean, when you visit somewhere like New Street, of course, we'll see that regularly on our way from Wolverhampton to Birmingham by train. Uh, or, or maybe places people from the Midlands go and visit. Then, and one of those that you're including is, is Barmouth Bridge, isn't it? And I mean, that in itself is an amazing piece of engineering. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Barmouth, we had in series one. So you can get that still on UK TV Play, the app, um, because you can stream it free. And it's back in series one. And of course, you know, Barmouth is, of course, where everyone in Birmingham used to head and still does, of course, head for holidays to the beach. It's the closest beach to Birmingham. Um, and of course, that wonderful structure. I mean, it must have carried millions, millions of us over the years to our, our, some of our favourite beaches. Um, and it's just wonderful that these structures, they, they probably were never really thought of as, as lasting as long as they have. And that's what I find so fascinating about Britain's railway and the way it's been constructed. We've got this massive network. We often forget how old it really is. And of course, we've got to look after this stuff. And so in research for this programme, we started looking out, at, we asked for some drawings. And eventually they said, look, come along to our National Records Centre. 
and we had no idea about this, but Network Rail has a massive warehouse in York, not part of the museum, but quite separate, and it's a working archive, including drawings done by Brunel himself and George Stevenson that the staff today still go and reference because, of course, our railway network is based on those Victorian engineer systems. And so we're still using their hand-drawn ink, uh, pen and ink drawings today, consulting those whenever we make an update to our system. Yeah, and you have to know what was built in the first place, what is underpinning it and how it works. And the engineering that goes into this is huge because they didn't have a lot of the technology we have these days or the materials very often so they you know these things were made sure that if, if they're using a natural product they had to overcompensate for variances that might have been in it yeah absolutely and so well, that's what i love about it right so we had this network and we often talk about revolution and, and technology sort of being a revolution but actually we're just gently nudging and, and moving things along very slowly with the railways of course we've got to look at all the historic structures around us and we do operate a railway not a museum so we can't save everything, but it is wonderful that in today's modern infrastructure worlds and in today's world of trains that go over 125 miles an hour in some places, you know, we're still managing to retain some of these wonderful historic artefacts um, all over the UK for us to enjoy. And are there cases where these historic bridges and the like have been moved uh, and, and stored or, or put into a museum, effectively? Have you put a bridge in a museum? I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, into sites where they can be enjoyed. <laughs> Well, you, 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 well, I, I laugh, but actually, it's a very good point. In fact, actually, one of the, the, the Stevenson's very early bridges from the Stockton and Darlington Railway called the Gornless Bridge actually was made of, of iron. And the whole bridge, dinosaur, this incredible iron structure, was moved bit by bit to the National Railway Museum. And actually, it is sat out the back of the museum now, the best part of, of course, it must be about 40 years. And we're looking now at how we're going to reinterpret that and bring it indoors, or at least put it in, in a display the public can enjoy, because this bridge is huge. And there are certain parts of architecture that when it gets demolished, you can't keep everything, of course, as we say, but you can keep some of the best bits. So... When back in back in the day, the Euston Arch, as it was known, down at Euston Station, uh, was actually it was actually flattened to make way for the brand new Euston Station. They did save some decorative parts of it. So there are things from it, like there are the gates and certain, certain sort of elements of of the, of the brasswork. Again, at the National Railway Museum in York, and they have been saved. So all the kind of decorative, nice, fun pieces. I think it tells a bit more about about uh, arts and architecture. They have been kept for us to enjoy now. It's having at least part of it to be able to uh, not only reminisce but also see the techniques that were used. And again, I think that's a, another important part of it. And also, you know, with what you've been able to see in the archives, that must be absolutely uh, amazing uh, to to be able to explore some of that sort of thing. And obviously, in living memory as well, the uh, the Channel Tunnel, the, the the production there and the the, the technology yeah. used to create that was just absolutely phenomenal, wasn't it? Yeah, this is the thing I didn't really realise. I mean, I'd forgotten that just when I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, and so I'd, I'd, I'd just forgotten, I suppose, in tomorrow's world style way, just before that time, there was another attempt at building a channel tunnel. Like we often forget this, that there was, of course, a 1960s and 70s attempt at building it, and it only got so far. And actually, today's channel tunnel, the two railway tunnels are, were built, you know, in the 1990s, but actually... The service tunnel down the middle of the channel tunnel, a lot of it was actually built on the same route and used as the same tunnel rings as the 1970s tunnel. So 
And when you're down there, incredibly, there's a part. We, we, we drove down there in a car to get down there. And honestly, it is like driving down like a 20-mile-long you know, a, a submarine or a, a tube train tunnel because it is this great big sort of iron rings around you. And we get to a certain point, a couple of miles from off the coast under, un, underground. And there, suddenly, the, the tunnel changes a bit in its style. It turns out that is where the Victorian attempt at the Channel Tunnel got to as well. I mean, you cross that spot underground. It's quite extraordinary. So whenever you're using the Channel Tunnel now, you can always remember, you go through the same point in, time, in, in space that uh, underground that actually our Victorian forebears got to when they tried to build a channel tunnel you know, well over 100 years ago. And that, I think, is extraordinary and wonderful. And it's absolutely amazing. As you say, you're on season four of this amazing adventure through the rail yeah. network. And uh, Tuesday nights, <laughs> where so do we find you? It's on the Yesterday channel and UK TV Play. Um, and so it's on, on Freeview, of course. And that's eight o'clock every Tuesday night for the next 10 weeks. Well, Tim Dunn, railway historian and architecture expert, thank you for joining us and thank you for exploring on our behalf. Thank you. World record-breaking extreme adventurer and former Marines commando sniper Aldo Kane has seen a lot of things in his career. He has recently been heading out and about, making the most of some brilliant adventures. And he joins me now to tell me more. Good afternoon, sir. Hi there, how are you doing? I'm good. I hope we find you well. And uh, having enjoyed uh, your most recent trip, rather more than some of the uh, experiences you had whilst you were a Royal Marine commando. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we uh, that that's where I started um, was in, in the Marines. But um, yeah, we just got back from a, a recent expedition in Botswana, paddling the length of the um, Okavango Delta, um, which was, I have to say, one of the best, uh, one of the best expeditions I've done in the last few years. Well, I mean, you do yourself, you've worked on, you know, a load of, of different TV and film productions. Yeah, I mean, the, the trip we did in Botswana was 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 up there, that sort of line of trips. Um, what we did was an extended um, expedition down the Delta, but as part of that was with Exodus and with part of them, you can do like two day trips to see the same things. But um, like you say, you're sort of generally speaking with TV and film crews, you're sort of going to these extreme places to document something and sometimes for the first time um, and bring that back and and that obviously gets made into into the documentary. But um, I feel pretty lucky I've been doing that now for the last 15 or so years now. Uh, but looking back on your time in the Royal Marines, I mean, you, you joined at the age of 16. You saw active military service through, yeah, from the likes of Northern Ireland through to the Middle East. You found yourself held a gunpoint experience in mortar rounds whistling overhead in Sierra Leone, uh, hunted uh, uh, killer viruses in the darkest corners of the Congo. And it, this is all um, a, a, an, an amazing life story. And it, it, it has seen some uh, awesome uh, experiences. But equally, as we say there, some that must have been absolutely terrible terrifying um yeah i guess you know i joined the marines at the age of 16 so it's been kind of adventure really has been in my in my life blood since then uh, even before you know i was in the scouts before that and i think i've just always had you know curiosity to see the world and to travel um and the more that i've done of it and you know for example the first job i ever did in television was 
to get a film crew inside a, an active volcano. And I just had this moment of clarity when I came back from there that that actually you could, you know, if I followed my passion of travel and adventure, I could mix it in a way that would allow me to earn a living from it as well. And that's pretty much what I've done, you know, and and working with Exodus now, who who I work with, Exodus Travels, is is much more about taking these expeditions into far reaches of the planet but working with local teams and when i um and in a sustainable way when i when i've been on you know if almost every single expedition i've ever done around the planet has been working with local teams so it's it's been good to work with these guys and, and actually be able to shine a light um on the on the local teams that's actually what we were doing the film we made in in botswana was about and obviously uh, filming whilst you're out there uh, and what sort of challenges did you face then because it, it's not only people who've got the, uh, the the washboard abs that you've got who are heading out on these trips you need to be in good health but you know, you, you're looking at trips here which can push you to the limits that's um well I, what i actually did was i curated um a list of 10 or 12 expeditions with exodus um dot co dot uk forward slash aldo kane and those trips um are ones that were kind of like on my bucket list of trips that I wanted to go to or have done um and that were not too extreme that people couldn't do it so normal public can go and do these trips um and it's just something to stretch them a little bit more than they would do rather than their sort of bog standard um sort of holiday down to Tenerife or somewhere like why not go to Peru, why not go to Bolivia, Tanzania or Indonesia? There's there's just so many places that you can go and travel to and have a, a decent adventure when you're there. An adventure, but a safe adventure, and, and one that uh, you it will allow you to be able to see some of the sites that people normally only see in one of your documentaries. Well, that's it. I mean, it, it just takes a little bit more planning and a little bit more prep time, and you can have the adventure you know, of your life. Um, I head out to Morocco next week to lead an expedition um, mountain biking across the Atlas Mountains. And it's just these small snapshots into other countries, other environments, and working with local teams on on the ground with a, a very low to minimal footprint while you're there. For me, expeditions and travel are all about once you're there is, is just as minimal impact as you can. Um, it's one of the purest forms. That's why paddling these Makoro boats, the traditional dugout boats, down the Okavango Delta was so special because you just become part of that environment where you're actually, you know, you're paddling past three, four, five elephants. There's giraffe on that side. There's 40, 50 hippo in the corner of a river um, as you go around the bend. It's, it's, just, it's just a phenomenal way to see the planet. Yes, yeah, one of those where you leave behind nothing more than the wake of the water as it moves underneath the uh, the canoe, and you take nothing uh, away more than the memories. And those memories are the amazing feature, aren't they? You, you you don't need a holiday souvenir when you've got digital photos of some of the things that you've done. Well, that's it, and I mean, but that that can be sometimes the hard part. Is um, like probably three years ago, I was doing so many shoots, I was back to back to back on, and some of them, uh, the majority of them, were sort of inverted commas world first expeditions and we ended up sort of like being on this rat race of phenomenal 
trips that that were just having to be parked um, and processed later because they were on to the next one and on to the next one and on to the next one. Um, And it was only really when I was sat down in lockdown writing my book um, that I suddenly realised just actually how many trips I've done and how many varied experiences that I had. And, and you know, for me, putting that in a book and getting people to to um to learn from it was was key well it sounds like an amazing lifestyle that you have and it's something that people can dip into with exodus if they fancy you know, a, a bit of an expedition themselves that's right um i've curated with exodus um 10 or 12 expeditions around the world um it's if you go to exodus.co.uk forward slash aldo that will have the aldo trips that i've highlighted some of them i've done some of them are on my bucket list um, and that's why they've all made the cut. And does this mean there's a chance that they might find you on one of the trips as well? That's exactly what's happening next week um, on the uh, Atlas Mountains expedition. I'm leading and hosting um, a mountain biking trip. So I don't know whether the guys know I'm on it yet. Um, oh, that'd be a nice surprise. Fun. I know him from somewhere. I recognise that beard. <laughs> well, they might not, but either way, they're in for a surprise. It's going to be good. Yeah, I know. You're trying to keep up with you is going to be interesting, but uh, they'll obviously have all the support <laughs> they need to be able to get through the uh, the adventure and uh, live uh, exactly. a, a life that you know it, it is something. It's a privilege to do this, isn't it? And uh, you know, it's it's nice to have a holiday where you actually feel up the back of it that you've done more than just sit back and relax on a beach. Yeah, for me, that's a big part of traveling um, is to fully immerse myself in that environment in that culture with those people um and really when i'm away with exodus that's, that's kind of what you do because you have to these trips are, are quite remote um and they require they really do require that local knowledge which is absolutely key to having um a fun and also safe expedition well give us that web address again where people can find out about the expeditions that you've curated and will at some point in some cases be leading to that's right. It's um, exodus.co.uk forward slash Aldo Kane. And the book you're looking out for to learn a little more of Aldo's life is Lessons from the Edge. Check out the details there and you can find him all over the health magazines as well on a regular basis. Aldo Kane, lovely speaking to you. Thank you for joining us and safe travels. Thanks, Jason. Cheers. Bye. That's your lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 716 next week. I'll see you then. Ta-ra for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.